98K News. It's 11 o'clock, I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. Police warn protesters at Prince Edward MTR station they might be breaching the national security law. Children will start going back to school in phases from September the 23rd and more than half a million sign up for free coronavirus tests as new cases drop back into the single digits. Demonstrators have been out in Mongkok to mark a year since police stormed Prince Edward MTR station, battering and pepper spraying protesters and others they encountered inside. People have been carrying white flowers to mark the incident, with some chanting pro-independence slogans and jeering the large number of police officers sent to the scene. Earlier, the force warned demonstrators they could be breaching the national security law. This woman, who didn't want to give her name, explained why she was there. Something really bad happened like a year ago. I think it's like really heartbroken for everyone who really loves enough with Hong Kong. Mm. So I decided to come. Nothing much I can do, right? Just this is only what I can do, yes. Many people have been stopped and questioned throughout the evening, including a very young boy who was bundled into a police van. A pregnant woman was lying in the road at one point, having apparently been hit by pepper spray. She was later taken into an ambulance. This man, who refused to share his name, says he took a bus to the area today as he boycotts the MTR. He believes rumours that people were killed at the station a year ago and says he no longer trusts the police or the government. That day is very serious situation and... Why the emergency people cannot go inside to the MTR station? And why they just handle the situation for a long time, but anyone cannot go inside? They are hiding something. I think they are hiding people is dying. Hong Kong children will start going back to their classrooms in phases from the 23rd of September as the COVID-19 outbreak shows signs of easing. The Education Bureau has announced the plans for face-to-face teaching to resume for half-day sessions, but it'll be online lessons only at first as the new academic year begins tomorrow. Francis Sitt reports. Education Secretary Kevin Yang says Hong Kong has been seeing a drop in the number of new COVID-19 infections recently. And while it's hard to say how the pandemic will unfold here, he's confident that face-to-face classes can resume from the end of next month. New starters and students in the last two years of primary and secondary schools, as well as children entering their last year of kindergarten, will be the first to return on September the 23rd. Mr Yang says these sets of pupils are being given priority either because they can take good care of themselves or they are preparing for public exams or they are adjusting to a new environment. Other school students are to make their return to classrooms from September the 29th. Schools will only be open for half a day at first to do away with the need for children to gather to eat lunch. All staff and students will be required to wear masks and adopt social distancing measures and will also have their temperatures taken. The government says registration for the citywide voluntary COVID-19 tests has been running smoothly, with 550,000 people already signed up. The Secretary for the Civil Service, Patrick Nipps, says it looks like people are eager to join the scheme, which starts tomorrow. Maggie Ho reports. Based on the number of people who have signed up so far, some project that less than 2 million people will eventually take part in the free mass testing scheme. Civil Service Chief Patrick Nipp said it's hard to give an estimate, but it looks like people are eager to have a coronavirus test. He said the government would make a decision a day or two days after the scheme begins on whether to extend it for another week. So it all depends on how it's received by the community. 
Critics have said the plan won't help control the coronavirus outbreak, especially if not enough people take part. But Mr. Nip said it's better than nothing, as a mandatory scheme would require changes to existing legislation. The most ideal arrangement is, of course, a mandatory test that comes with a stay-at-home order. But any infection control work would depend on the actual situation of a society. He told an RTHK phone in program. Our universal scheme has a clear goal, and we can see that it would be an important part in our efforts to control the third wave of outbreaks. He added. He also said people, especially medical workers, who have called for a boycott on political grounds, should be condemned. You're listening to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past eleven. Education Secretary Kevin Young says Hong Kong does not have a separation of powers and it would be wrong for school books to suggest that it does. Mr Young's comment follows a controversy over recent changes made to liberal studies textbooks after publishers made use of a voluntary consultation service provided by the Education Bureau. The changes included the removal of references to Hong Kong having a division of powers between the executive, legislature and judiciary. Mr Young says publishers are not being told what should and should not be included in their books, but the materials still need to be factually accurate. Look at the current one and assess whether these textbooks are fair. The information inside are comprehensive and that represent the actual facts in the society. I think that these are the key elements that we have to consider, whether it actually facilitates the students' learning. These are all more important than whether one particular incident was included in the textbook or not. And as a matter of fact, some of the concepts now included in the textbook are much more accurate than before, which is something that we're happy to see. A group of Taipo district councillors staged a protest outside one of the COVID-19 sample collection centres earlier, calling on people to boycott the citywide tests. Richard Chan was one of those protesting outside Taipo Hoi Sports Centre. He told Sammy Hearn that it's the wrong place for tests to be carried out. Because that sports centre, in fact, is inside a compress. And inside that typo compress, we have several government offices, such as Home Fair Department, such as Social Welfare Department. There are a lot of people to come in to have to receive their service. And then the compass itself is located in the center of Taipo Market, which a lot of people living nearby. And next to the compass is a wet market, which most of the people will come here to, to get their usual foods to their domestic use. In that area, they, in fact, is a quite um, busy area for those residents in Taipo. Even more, because the wet market is quite famous in the area. So some people from Satin, from Xiangshui, from Funland, they will come here to to buy the fresh material for their dinner, for their meal. So there will be a lot of people right here. Are there any other better locations you think can be turned into testing centers? The first of all, I, I, I don't think Hong Kong need that uh, testing center. If we can seal all the border for the uh, past months, Hong Kong people, they wear masks. They are so keen with to keep their personal hygiene. So there's no need for those centers at all. Did the residents tell you their worries? Yep, some people just tell me that they don't want that center is quite close to the general public. And they are very about all the procedures. Up to now, we, we, don't, we don't really know who will conduct all the procedures. So that will be the worry of the people. Have you ever expressed concerns to the government and what are their response? 
I don't have a chance to express the concern because all the information I get, I get it from newspaper. So I can't confirm all this information until nowadays. But in fact, tomorrow is the start. Tomorrow we have a, a district council meeting. So we will ask the government to provide information during the meeting. And most likely we, we will invite the district officer, I mean the DO, to come with us to the sports centre to see. Researchers from Baptist University have developed a COVID-19 alert system which can warn people if they've been in contact with a confirmed case. The university says the system could be adopted across the city. Priscilla Ng reports. The smartphone system works in two ways. One, by users scanning a QR code before entering a venue so that their whereabouts are recorded. And the other, by using Bluetooth to see when two users come within two meters of each other for a certain period of time. If a user later tests positive for COVID-19, their close contacts will be informed and information on the patient's whereabouts in the previous two weeks can be shared with others. Professor Xu Jianliang, associate head and professor of the Department of Computer Science at the university, says personal privacy will be well protected under the system. The data will be stored in the local device of the users. So the user data, the, for example, the venue, um, those data won't, will not be uploaded to any server, so, such that we can maximally protect users' privacy. So all the uh, matching computation will be done locally on the smartphone device. Professor Guo Yike, the vice president of research and development, says the government is highly interested in the system and may consider implementing it territory-wide. But before that happens, he says a voluntary trial run will first be carried out on the university's campus. In HKPU, we want to use this place as an experimental place to actually study the social acceptance. Also, the technology advance to help the feasibility and help the actual flexibility of user systems. Easy to use is one of the very important factors for the wide acceptance. But I'm sure right, if system effective, it will be rolled out to Hong Kong to help Hong Kong. Uh, I don't think it's going to be too difficult to deploy. Professor Guo says he hopes more people will take part in the trial because a high level of participation is needed for the alert system to work effectively. The Environmental Protection Department says a food waste recycling factory at its eco-park in Tunmun stopped its operations in July after failing to meet the recycling targets specified in its lease. The department says South China Reborn Resources had rented the site on a 20-year lease since 2013, promising to handle some 33,000 tonnes of kitchen waste each year. Professor Jonathan Wong from Baptist University, an expert in waste management, told Jimmy Choi that the food waste recycling industry has been struggling due to high operational costs and a lack of government support. At the current moment, I don't think there's any policy that can directly help uh, those people who are really interested in recycling food waste in Hong Kong because there's no uh, charging waste and these, pe uh, these people who invest in the market, they need to uh, spend their money in building the facility uh, collection operation in order to have the feed production. So uh, we can easily understand that the cost of production of the feed is not cheap. So as a result, and uh, they need to sell in the market at a reasonable price, so it's not that, uh, I would say, the economic viable. Uh, without any initial, uh, so-called assistance from the government, especially in the collection, because they spend their time and money in reducing the waste in Hong Kong, but they don't get any sense from the government.
Can you tell us a little bit more how uh, the waste charging scheme could help this industry? If we have charging of the waste separation in Hong Kong, in this situation, the cost of collection will be reduced because uh, the recycler can get the money from the charging. As a result, the total uh, collection cost will be reduced and the operation cost of the facility will be reduced also. Uh, I would say that the model will be easier to be viable. But however, still, I would say that uh, these people who are collecting waste, they should go to the landfill site, but now go to their facility. They should receive the treatment cost from the government. The government says it recorded a deficit of more than $183 billion in the first four months of the current fiscal year, nearly seven times the deficit in the same period last year. The government's expenditure for the period rose about $170 billion to $290 billion, while revenue fell by around $30 billion. The government says the increased deficit is partly down to the $10,000 cash handouts to residents and its pandemic relief measures. The SAR's fiscal reserves now stand at more than $970 billion. Australia says one of its citizens, who's also a prominent news presenter on Chinese state television, has been detained without charge in China. The BBC's Celia Hatton has this report. Chong Lei was a model news presenter for Chinese state television, fronting Beijing's viewpoints on the English language network CGTN for almost eight years, including some of the network's most politically sensitive coverage. The Australian Foreign Ministry says Canberra received notice that Ms. Lay was in detention on August 14th and was able to communicate with her via video link only on the 27th. Chung Lei is now reportedly under residential detention, where she can be held for up to six months, although Beijing has yet to confirm her status. A three-year-old girl in Taiwan is safe after being carried nearly 30 metres into the air by a kite at a festival in the city of Hinshu. The toddler had become entangled in the kite's tail. Here's the BBC's Jessica McCallin. Viral footage of the incident shows the girl being carried through the air at high speed for several seconds as onlookers watch helplessly from the ground. As the girl lands, several adults catch her. Local news reports said the three-year-old was frightened but suffered no physical injuries. Authorities are looking into whether there were any safety breaches at the kite festival, which allowed the girl to become caught up in the material. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Police warn protesters at Prince Edward MTR station they might be breaching the national security law. Children will start going back to school in phases from September the 23rd and more than half a million sign up for free coronavirus tests as new cases drop back into the single digits. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. Living with COVID means wearing masks has become a daily routine. And while some may find them uncomfortable, most have got used to them. But for parents of autistic children, getting them to keep their masks on for an extended period of time has been a monumental challenge. RTHK's Sammy Hung found out how some families have been coping. No one, I don't want. We need to wear the mask, okay? I don't. <laughs> for some autistic children, wearing a face mask isn't just uncomfortable. It can be almost traumatizing. When the mask touches his face or ears, he would go crazy and start screaming. Kenny's five-year-old son, Chi Hong, at first refused to wear face masks. 
She had to come up with all sorts of tricks to get him more used to them. First, she would just put one loop of the mask on one ear for three seconds, then take it off. They did this repeatedly for several days. But Kenny says she started getting really worried when the government mandated the use of masks in all public places, thinking there's no way he could keep a mask on long enough to go to his classes. One time, a security guard barred him from entering the building because he wasn't wearing a mask. So me and my domestic helper struggled in the lobby for a very long time to try to put a mask on him, but he wouldn't let us. In the end, we used a phone to distract him and kind of partially put the mask on, enough to be allowed in to go to class. Alice's six-year-old boy Wilbert is also autistic. Her experience was similar. Yes, he can't control himself. A uh, crazy cry, non-stop crying. We need three adults to help apply the mask on his face at our first attempt. My husband uh, held his hands, and our maid held his head. I was the one applied the mask on his face. He kept struggling and nailed down. Um, really heartbroken because. He is uh, used to be a happy baby. Toby Mountjoy is a behavior analyst and director of Autism Partnership, a firm that offers services tailored to autistic children. He explains that children on the spectrum may not understand why they have to wear masks and how it helps keep them safe from COVID, making it that much harder to get them to keep their masks on. They may have some issues when it comes to uh, textures on their skin. They may be somewhat undersensitive in terms of not feeling pain when they hurt themselves, or may have more adverse reactions to things uh, where they may seemingly be more overly sensitive. That's not all children with autism, but some children do exhibit some of those issues. And so this may, for some children, may make mask wearing a little bit more uncomfortable. But he says despite this, Autistic children can, with patience and the right training, do many things that any typical developing child can do, including wear a mask. And Kenny found that, with persistence, her training worked. She would put a mask on him and use a timer on her smartphone to get Chi Hong to focus on the moving display showing the time winding down. When one minute is up, he can take his mask off and get a reward. Two days of this training, and he was okay with wearing masks. Alice also used her phone to help Wilbert to get used to wearing a mask. The first time we succeeded was uh, let him wear a mask when he was listening to his favorite song from the phone. And we counted one to ten, and then we removed it. Then we praised his good try and let him listen to the favorite song one more time as a reward. And he was so happy for that. As he loves cycling, we tried to make him wear a mask when he is riding the bicycle. Um, now, he got used to wear a mask for school, whole day school, and also go anywhere. But while the kids are now doing well, both moms say people should be more compassionate 
and withhold their judgment if they see a kid outside without a mask on. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge any parent or carers with the kids not wearing a mask on the street. Hope that everyone、um, can stand in others' shoes before you make any judges. That report by RTHK's Sammy Hung. India says it's foiled a Chinese military attempt to change the agreed status quo in the disputed border region of Ladakh. Delhi called Beijing's moves provocative, but China says its troops never crossed the line of control. The BBC's Anbarasan Etirajan reports. The army said Indian troops had preempted what it called a Chinese attempt to unilaterally change facts on the ground near the Pangong Lake in the Ladakh region. It added that the two sides were holding military talks to ease tensions. Tensions have escalated since June, when troops from the two sides fought hand-to-hand combat in which 20 Indian troops were killed. China did not provide any casualty figures. The two Asian giants have overlapping border claims. Anna Marie Evans asked our Delhi correspondent Murali Krishnan how serious the tensions are. Tensions have spiked once again on the line of actual control.、Uh, now the Indian Army is saying that the provocative military movements had been carried out by Chinese troops on the southern bank of、uh, southern bank of the Pangongso Lake on Saturday night. It's a very rare statement just coming out of the army right now on the current standoff, and they said that the PLA troops violated the previous consensus,、uh, which was arrived at you know, various military and diplomatic engagements. And、uh, I mean, the fact is, this tension, this tension has been continuously building up、uh, for, for the last several months, and it's、um, you know, as we know, it escalated、um, uh, to a flashpoint in June 15th, where we saw 20 Indian army personnel being killed. But what's happening right now is that there's three main friction points. They're called the Hot Springs, the Galwan Valley, and the Pangongso Lake. And the Pangongso Lake right now is the latest confrontation happening between both sides. And this is an expansive lake,、uh, sections of which are controlled by India and China, and it is south of the Galwan Valley. And here is where this,、uh, the Indian Army says that both sides are locked in a confrontation.、Uh, so obviously, it is a matter of serious concern. And、uh, I was talking to a few army officials. They said there had been massive movement of troops by the Chinese around that site. The Indian Army, however, is not sharing any additional details of what it meant by provocative military movements, or whether the PLA has breached the、uh, line of actual. Control at a flag point, at a flash,、uh, at a new point. But what we know is that a flag meeting is underway as I talk to you to resolve the crisis. But、um, these are tensions which will continue, and this border crisis with China, I think it will remain a major source of concern for several months right now. Sorry, what sort of meeting is taking place? A flag meeting between the arm, both the army commanders of both sides are happening right now as we talk to try to defuse tensions to see that there is it does not escalate to what we saw in June 15th, which where where both the sides clashed and India、uh, lost 20 of its soldiers. So this flag meeting is on right now, and、uh, that is something which is which we have to wait and watch. Both of them, are, it's,、uh, it's it's it happened about a couple of hours back. But then the fact is, we've already seen since June. We've seen uh, any, uh, numerous talks between the、uh, the core commanders of both sides, asking for complete disengagement at the friction points.、Uh, 
but then um, there, there has been it has been it's, there has we haven't really known what what actually is happening in the ground because because these are very uh, 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 inhospitable terrain. So that's where it stands, and this fresh tension could create more hurdles right now to find a resolution. Does it suit India to have this going on? You know, there's quite a lot of anti-China sentiment. We've had the issue with, I mean, followed on from, of course, the, the June situation where, as you say, you had 20 Indian soldiers dead, 76 injured, and, and China hasn't actually said who died on their side. But, um, you know, you've had all of the issue of Chinese apps no longer being used in, in India. Uh, does it suit uh, the Prime Minister to have this going on? No, not really, not at all, in the sense that, I mean, uh, that, was, that was one way of, uh, India's way of retaliating in terms of trying to ban the uh, apps and try to also sort of uh, disengage with the various uh, Chinese companies who have invested in the Indian economy, in infrastructure, as well as in other sectors. That was one way of getting back, knowing fully well that the Chinese uh, military might is far, far more superior. So therefore, India can't, can ill afford a sort of a... Uh, a, 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 a military row with China at this point. But what China has been demanding is that any disengagement should be mutual, which means that both sides would have to pull back their troops by an equal distance. Well, that is a condition which the Indian government says it's unacceptable. And the reason they, they state is, is because that would give China an advantage due to the better infrastructure and the easier terrain on its side. So therefore, uh, that's something with, the, therefore, India will continue to amass troops. And in a couple of months now, uh, down the line, winter is going to set in, which makes the movement of troops that much harder and should, God forbid, another confrontation, escalation of tensions uh, sort of descend into another row, that would be extremely, would be a very, very serious flashpoint. Uh, that's why India has been demanding a status quo for the troops on both sides to move back to positions where they were in end of April. Now, this is, uh, and, 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 and to carry on with uh, back-of-the-room diplomatic uh, engagement to see that it does not go beyond, uh, uh, you know, uh, anything, it does not get into anything serious at all. So that's where it stands right now. But these tensions will continue. Our Delhi correspondent Murali Krishnan speaking to Anna Marie Evans. Five years ago today, the German Chancellor Angela Merkel first used the term Wir schaffen das, or We Can Do It, and in effect opened Germany's doors to hundreds of thousands of people seeking asylum in Europe. The BBC's Jenny Hill was at Munich Railway Station five years ago as Germans welcomed some of the new arrivals. She's been back to Bavaria to meet some of the people involved in the moment which changed the country and still divides opinion today. What struck me was the amazement on their faces. Clutching bags and children, the men and women climbed off the train at Munich station and realized the crowd of cheering Germans was there to welcome them. It's five years since Angela Merkel, aware that Europe's migrant crisis was no longer confined to its outer shores, said, wir schaffen das, we can do it. Hundreds of thousands of people would come to Germany, hoping for the same warm welcome. I was proud of Germany because 
Um, I enjoyed the willingness that Jeremy didn't hesitate to help the refugees. Carmen Meinhold, who speaks Arabic, came to the station to volunteer as a translator. I think uh, when we look back and today, the situation today, all the doomsday scenarios didn't become true. We faced um, a humanitarian crisis. We could not have closed our, our doors. And it brought change to every part of Germany. Abensburg, a conservative Bavarian town of church spires and cobbles, had to accommodate and integrate around 200 refugees. I still think it was a bit much for someone to sit in Berlin and say we could manage, knowing full well it was up to each and every local mayor to have to manage. Uwe Brandl, who's from the Bavarian sister party of Angela Merkel's CDU, is the mayor of Abensburg. If other EU countries had shared this burden, we wouldn't have had this level of political tension. If I could turn back time, I would ask much more of Europe. Instead, the angry, the fearful, took to Germany's streets, horrified by high-profile migrant crime, the sexual assault of women in Cologne, or the terror attack on a Berlin Christmas market. As Angela Merkel battled a backlash, the far-right flourished. Today, they're a small but established part of the political landscape. But during that time, an earnest young Syrian man built a new life in Arbensburg. Mohammed's learned German, got a job, had a family. It's like my home. Everything is good. That report by the BBC's Jenny Hill. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, don't hold gatherings or join large-scale activities. Event organizers should adopt contingency measures to postpone or cancel events or temporarily close facilities. The public should avoid crowded places as far as possible. Don't host or join gatherings with family and friends. Find an open space to stretch. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Orchestra. This is Nostalgia with Ray Cudero. Summertime in Venice.
That was the beautiful Summertime in Venice with Mantovani and his orchestra. Taking the time now to six, uh, 26 minutes to midnight, nostalgia with Ray Codero all the way. Let's welcome Jim Reeves. Welcome to my world Won't you come on in Miracles I guess Still happen now and then Step into my heart 